Allow me to reread a portion of that passage. A large crowd followed Jesus and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Back in 2018, I was a chaplain at a hospital in New York City. It was a dream come true. Mostly because when I roamed the halls with my badge on, I got to finally feel like I was on Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) My Shondaland fantasies were coming true. I could be Dr. Bailey after all. I was assigned to three units, two in the children's wing and one in the adult wing. The adult unit dealt with what they call comorbidities, so people who are dealing with two or more issues at one time. And they also had a section in the wing that was hematology-related issues. I had a patient who was dealing with brutal effects of sickle cell anemia. I had another patient who was living with AIDS. Most patients were in this unit a few days, maybe a week at most. But I had one, this one patient who stayed for a while. I saw her name on my chart one day, and because she shares the same name as my mother, I decided to start my morning with a visit to her. Elaine was a lovely woman, very receptive to my visit, which is a breath of fresh air. Cold calling as a chaplain is mostly a game of disappointment and rejection. Eight out of 10 patients do not want to see you. To many of them, you are the grim reaper. You represent death. They don't don't wanna have a small conversation with you or anything. However, Elaine was open, very talkative, very inquisitive. I, I was unable at first to tell what had brought her to the hospital. So I asked if she'd share that with me. She removed the blankets from her legs and there were large soiled cloths. Elaine had an issue of blood. She had these open sores on her legs that would just hemorrhage profusely. She had been in and out of the hospital, transferring back and forth from the rehab facility to the hematology wing. She wasn't clear to go home and be with her family because she wouldn't stop bleeding. I would often visit her and listen to her lamentation. She'd keep me in that room for almost an hour. I had to try different exiting tactics because as much as I love talking to Elaine, I had to do rounds. But in our chats though, what would often come up was her deep desire to be healed. Yes, she she wanted to be cured, but more importantly, she had a deep desire to be reconciled with her life, to be reconciled with her family, her house, her clothes, her church, her community, her things. 
The isolation and the embarrassment caused by her condition would weigh heavy on her and she would often express feeling like she was in the valley of the shadow of death. It was one hemorrhaging incident after another. One test after another, surgeries and new doctors, experimental treatments, and nothing was working. I don't know if you've been there, perhaps physically or not. There are times in our lives when it feels like nothing we do is working. There are times when we find ourselves bleeding out, unable to stop the flow of blood, the flow of suffering, of agony. We patch up one wound and another one opens up. We handle one crisis and another crisis comes crashing in. We pay one unexpected bill and another unexpected bill shows up in the mail. It seems like the hemorrhaging is never ending. Like the misery and the grief are never ending. For some folks, it feels like the poverty and the oppression are never ending. It is overwhelming. I have to imagine that the woman from our text today could relate. Having bled nonstop for years, I imagine her weariness was insurmountable. Her frustration was overwhelming. The writer says she went from doctor to doctor for 12 years. She had spent all her money. Her chronic condition literally took her from privilege to poverty and her illness had worsened. The incessant suffering had led to isolation and I imagine she was at her wit's end when she hears that Jesus is coming to town. This story comes in a series of healing stories all around the Sea of Galilee. Fresh off of healing a man wrestling with demons, Jesus is petitioned by a desperate father trying to save his dying daughter. In the midst of traveling to that little girl, a large crowd presses in on Jesus and in that crowd is the bleeding woman who will name Eliana. Eliana, in what I can only assume is an act of last resort, joins this crowd of men. After years of isolation and perhaps shame and embarrassment, Eliana throws caution to the wind. This act of solitude wasn't pretty. I imagine she had to get on her hands and her knees in her bloody tunic, press her way through a sea of hairy legs, maybe even getting stepped on a few times to get close to a man she had never met before, that even though life was literally bleeding out of her, she was willing to scrape along the muck and the mire because she still believed that some sort of healing was possible. Some have viewed this as an act of desperation, but I like to view it as an act of radical self-love. She loved herself so much that she would do whatever it took to be whole again. And as she gets closer and closer to Jesus, the crowd presses in. She gets closer and closer, but not quite close enough. And she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, 
I will be made whole. If I could just touch the fringe of his coat, if I could just grab on to the tassels, maybe help could be on the way. Maybe I could catch a break. Maybe I could get some relief from this suffering if I could grab hold of the tassels. There are folks among us living in chronic poverty and suffering all around us. They, they reach out to us every week asking for help, feeding their small children, help for furniture so that their kids don't have to sleep on the floor. They ask for prayer. They've gone to every social service agency. They've been sent on the runaround. They've sold their cars just to keep the heat on in the winter. By the time they decide to call us, they can't even get here in person. I imagine them thinking, if I could just get someone on the phone, if I could just see if someone can help us, maybe I can catch a break. Maybe I could not have to worry about being evicted this week if I could just grab hold of the tassels. I don't know if Eliana knew the Jewish literature that expounds on this belief that the tassels of a holy man possessed magical powers. I don't know if she knew about the prophet Elijah taking his cloak and striking the river Jordan so that he and Elisha could walk through. I don't know if she grabbed the tassels intentionally or if that was all she could grab because there was too much distance between her and Jesus. But in this moment, Eliana's bleeding suddenly stops. As she hangs on to the threads of Jesus' clothing, some sort of healing is said to have taken place. And in the moment of her healing, Jesus feels something as well. Jesus says to the crowd, who touched me? And of course, his knuckle-headed disciples, they're like, ah, man, there's just so many people around here. Anybody could have touched you. Jesus, what's the big deal? And Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. I, I felt the power go out of me. You see, Jesus feels the transfusion of life taking place. He feels the energy leaving his body, but his loss is the woman's gain. Eliana falls to her knees and tells Jesus everything. I imagine Jesus sees her anguished body. Weary from years of chronic pain, I imagine he listens to her story. Maybe this is the first time in a long time anyone has truly listened to her story. That anybody has looked at her in the eye and taken her grief seriously. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. In this moment, he signals her reincorporation into the community she's been isolated from all these years. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Even if you are still bloody, your faith has made you well. Even if every system of oppression and persecution has not yet been eradicated, your faith has made you well. Beloved, I'm not here to debate 
the validity of the healing narratives of the Gospels. It is to be noted that in Matthew's version of this story, the woman is not healed by touching the cloak. There is no physical interaction. Matthew has purged all of the magical elements out of this story. And for those of you who struggle with the healing narratives, particularly the ways they've been used to further marginalize those who are disabled, the purging of the magic may be comforting for you. But might I suggest that there is something about the magic that captures me this morning. I believe there is something about the magic that has a message for us today. It's, it's not so much that I'm concerned about whether or not she was cured of her chronic condition. I'm not so much concerned about the depth of her faith. There is something about the magic this morning. Jesus' power was so wide, it was so vast, that even the hem of his garment held transformational possibilities. I need you to hear this this morning. Jesus didn't even have to touch her, but he was in touch with her. The wingspan of Jesus, his ministry, his teaching, the healing stories and beyond were so powerful that even being in touch with his tassels could be life-changing. I get chills when I think about it. What would Christianity look like if we embodied that magic? Not, not the magic of us trying to reenact and perform curing ceremonies for people. No, what could this faith look like if when people who are bleeding out around us and among us, those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed, those who are in the midst of chronic suffering and systemic poverty, what if they could tap into the wingspan of Jesus and be transformed? Not ridiculed, not belittled, not told to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but transformed. What if they could grab hold of us the tassels of his garment, the extremities of Jesus and their lives could be changed for the better. Friends, there are so many places and spaces that claim to be Christ-centered, but when you reach out and touch the hem of their, garden, their garment, you get racism. When you reach out and you touch the hem of their garment, you get homophobia. When you reach out and you touch the hem of their garment, you get sexism, you get contempt, you get judgment. The tassels don't have holy power. You got their pastors making Instagram videos about how our church's inclusivity is against the will of God. They ain't got no holy tassels over there. Ain't no, ain't no wonder working power at Freedom Church, Freedom House Church in Charlotte. Oh, but when they reach out and they touch us, when they touch our tassels, will they get contempt or will they get compassion? When they reach out and they grab hold of the fringes in our community, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, as we drive by folks in need, will they get hatred or will they get healing? 
When they grab hold of our tassels in their moments of desperation, in their acts of last resort, will they get ridicule or will they get righteousness? What will they know about us by our tassels? What will they know about Myers Park Baptist by our tassels? The song says they will know that we are Christians by our love, but love is a watered-down version these days. That's not enough for us. What will they know by our tassels? When they reach out and they grab hold of us, will they know we stand for justice? Will they know we stand for righteousness? Will they know that we will fight for their wholeness? Will they know when they touch us. I believe they shall know us by how we care, by how we show up for one another, by how we go above and beyond, by how we drive across town delivering food and furniture, by how we open our doors to the housing insecure, by how we feed each other. They should know us by how we accompany transgender youth to doctor's appointments. They shall know us by how we usher folks into family planning clinics amidst hostility. They shall know us by how we welcome the questioning and the curious, the queer identified, and the cautious when they touch the hem of our garment. They shall know that wholeness is a possibility. In a world where everything seems broken, wholeness is a possibility. Can they touch our tassels and know that? When you become the tassels of Jesus's garment, you participate in the transformational transfusion of life. And listen, when you get a transfusion, it's not all easy going. I know many of you have donated blood before and the energy comes out of you. The writer says, Jesus felt the power going out of him. You will feel the energy going out of you. But it's for the sake of life and wholeness of the community. You will have to give up some resources in order for somebody else to come back to life. But what a wonder it is to be a part of someone's journey toward wholeness. What a marvel it is to play a small part in the wingspan of Jesus and help someone get to liberation and reconciliation with community. And the wingspan of Jesus stretches beyond this temple. It stretches beyond this beautiful building with our lovely chandeliers. For many ancient people of faith who believe that you had to go to the temple to be healed, Jesus' ministry disrupts that. Jesus' ministry reminds us that God's work is at loose in the world. God's work is at loose in the wingspan. When we tap into the wingspan of Jesus, the radical love of God overflows. The bold and boundless hospitality of Christ spills out, and all we can do is bask in the crucial compassion. I challenge you, us, to become the wingspan of Jesus in these crucial times. Now, I know some of you who are the center of attention, you want to be the heart of Jesus. 
You want to be the liver, the organs, the important things, the stomach, the lungs, but perhaps we are called to be the hem of his garment. Maybe we are called to the edges, to go the places nobody else wants to go, to say and do the things nobody else wants to say. Could we tap into the wingspan of Jesus? Not for the sake of proximity, but for the sake of communal wholeness and communal liberation. There's a song written by the late Andre Crouch that we grew up hearing and singing in church. And every time I hear it, I think about how people are still tapping into the wingspan of Jesus. Some 2,000 years later, people are still touching the hem of his garment through you and through me and through all who know that salvation and healing and restoration happen in community. When our backs are against the wall and when nothing else seems to be working, we know that we can lean on each other and grab hold of each other's tassels to feel that transfusion of life taking place. I imagine that when Eliana walked away from her life-giving interaction with Jesus, probably never to see him again, she journeyed home, finally. She journeyed home like Elaine wanted to journey home. They journeyed home to be reunited, to be reconciled, with the community once again. In this song, the writer captures this story so perfectly. And it's a simple hymn. And if you know it, I invite you to sing along. It says, Oh, it is Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus. It's Jesus. to sing along. It says, oh, it is Jesus. Oh, it is Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus. When you're weary and you're broken, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. forth and tap into the wingspan. Be the tassel that somebody can grab onto for the sake of life, for the sake of all that is whole and righteous and worthy. Amen.